So I have uh, been recently, over the last couple messages, been again preaching through our vision statement to hopefully bring clarity to what the vision statement is about and what are the important pieces of what we as a leadership are wanting to kind of convey and what, what kind of church we want to be. And, and the reality is the last couple messages have been very, uh, in essence, they've been philosophical, right? I mean, they're kind of just talking about, you know, perspectives of how do we, how do we see this, you know, Christian life that we have? What, how do we understand, you know, this salvation piece, but also this sanctification piece? What, what is our perspective going in? And I felt it was important for us to spend time talking about that philosophy because I think we've, in the Christian church in America at least, we've, we've maybe kind of gotten a little bit lost in what that is all about. And, and so I wanted to expose that and be able to say that it's not that we don't have a bunch of Christians, great Christians in our churches in America, but, but I think the way that we view things has an impact on how we live it out. And so I wanted to help us to recognize that some of our semantics, the words that we use, the images that we have for understanding this Christian life that we live actually encourage us to have a non-biblical view of the Christian life. And so I wanted to spend time focusing on the realities of grace, first of all, that we would understand that what grace is, how big it is. I think we diminish grace so often. Every time that we put in the effort to try to appease or make God happy in some way, we are destroying grace. It is when we understand fully that this grace is totally unconditional and undeserved, that it doesn't matter how we live our life, the moment we bow our knee to Jesus, we are fully received as we are, no matter what happens after that. That is a key piece that we need to understand. That is the amazing grace that we have. That is not based on my effort. It's not based, you know, our, our salvation is not just in grace, but it's also our sanctification is about grace. We can live a life of freedom. That's the word I used last week. Freedom. We can journey through this Christian life without fear without being chained to sin or concerned that our sin is going to somehow knock us off of the way, but that we can journey with that freedom with our eyes focused on Jesus. But I also, as last week I got into detail on, is this other perspective that because of the amazing grace of Jesus, because it is totally undeserved, because it is so extravagant, the only way for us to respond is in worship to praise him and when you understand that we are saved and that we have hope for future for all eternity and it has nothing to do with how i live my life we know that that's secure we worship we thank jesus for what he's done we praise his name and we're drawn into a life of sacrifice, of worship, of honor for him. Everything we do is now to, to honor him for his glory. Not to get more blessings for myself, but just to see him elevated, to see him proclaimed, to see him get all of the thanks and all of the praise. And this is the tension that we live in as Christians. 
But so often we fall on one side or the other. We want to grab onto grace and think that, oh, it's just, you know, we can just live this life freely sinning and doing whatever we want. It doesn't matter, as Paul talks, he's interacting in Romans, right? So do we just go on sinning all the more because, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter. And he says no, right? But some of us will want to grab onto that grace. We're just going to say, ah, no, I'm just going to hang on to this this freedom that I have, and I'm going to live it out boldly, and who cares what happens? I know I'm in heaven. That's all that matters. Others of us will grab on to the other side of worship and make, a, make it into a legalism. Make it into a legalistic way of living out our life that we've got to follow all these rules. We've got to make sure we worship and we worship right. Because if we don't worship right, well, then God's going to be mad and we're not going to be able to get close enough to him. And then who knows? I mean, we should really question whether we're saved or not. We have to resist the temptation to go to those extremes and recognize that we need both. We need to recognize that we have been given a life of freedom, but we also need to recognize that we've been given a life of worship. So these are philosophical ideas, perspectives that are important for us to hang on to and cling to and think about and know. But also, so, but what does that mean as we live it out practically? And I'm hoping that this message will help us to maybe flesh out some of that practical side of this philosophy a little bit more. And I want to start with the... Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and following. Paul, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This life that we live is a life that is led by the Spirit. We focus our eyes on Jesus and recognize that it's the indwelling Spirit that allows us to follow Him, to see Him, to walk in the journey that He calls us to walk. But understand that this life that we are living as a Christian is first and foremost meant to live in real life. So often we think, okay, I came to Christ and now I need to totally radically change everything in my life. That I've got to quit my job. I've got to, you know, uh, quit all my friends. I've got to get out of my family. I've got to get out of my state, right? You know, all these things. We think it means this radical transition of our whole life because now we're a Christian. But the reality is that Christianity is meant to be lived in real life. We don't have to all become monks, right? That's not, that's not what Christ is calling us to. All right, now I'll isolate yourselves and go and you know, sit in a monk and pray all day long, right? I mean, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we have this life to live, but the life that we live is in honor of Jesus. So what changes is not necessarily what we are doing or, or our day-to-day activities. What is changing is what, how, why we're doing those things, the motivation for those things, who we are seeking to honor in those things. Before we were a Christian, we worked in order to make a living and in order to, you know, get the blessings that we wanted from it and in order to make ourselves happy. After salvation, we now begin to work 
in order to give glory to God so that we can see him be honored in our work and what we're doing, that he would be glorified. So first of all, recognize that our Christian walk is one that is real. It's a real-life walk. But it's also a walk in the Spirit into Christian behaviors as well. Christian practices as well. Spiritual practices. Discipleship, disciplines, those kind of things. There is an opportunity for us also to do those things, to add those things to our life. But the amazing thing is that so often... When we become a Christian, we want to jump in and begin to put the effort in to making these spiritual disciplines a reality in our life through our own effort without recognizing that even the blessings that come from spiritual disciplines, the blessings of doing spiritual disciplines come from grace, come from the Spirit in His work. Even in this passage, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Now, oftentimes, we as Christians, we've read these passages and we get all excited about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? And so we we look at that, and oftentimes we go as a Christian, all right, I need to, you know, if I'm going to be a really good Christian, I'm going to, I got to make sure I'm I'm, I'm loving. I got to make sure I'm joyful. I got to make sure I'm peaceful. I got to do all these things. So we start working out our salvation by trying to accomplish the fruit of the Spirit. But understand that in verse 23, at the end of this list, gentleness, self-control, he says, against such things, there is no law. And the point of that is like sometimes you go, what does that mean? The point of that is this, that this is not, these are not something that you can do under your own effort. It's not something that you can accomplish on your own. They are gifts of the Spirit. They are gifts that come to us as we journey with Jesus, as we follow Him, as we listen to the Spirit and walk with the Spirit. These things are, become part of who we are, become part of our experience. So it's not about our effort that's going to help us to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and all those things. No, it's about our walk and journey with Jesus, walking in the Spirit that allows us to experience those things. So when it comes to spiritual practices, we must understand that they are not demands. They are not commands. They are invitations. Invitations to those who have experienced God's grace and are inspired to worship him. And these are the sub-points of our vision statement. Enjoying, fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the main statement. That's the main point. That's the important thing that we've all got to focus on and recognize. Out of that then comes three more statements. First, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word and prayer. Journey, uh, journey in life with our church family in honesty and humility. Engage our neighbor with God's love in authentic and caring relationship. These, these, these are things that Jesus will invite us to once we become a Christian. That's what these are there for. These are not the ways that we're going to accomplish anything. They're things that God is going to invite us into where we will be exposed more fully to his grace, his goodness, his love, which will then inspire us to worship him more, right, and live a life of freedom more. Because we recognize that any kind of success that we have in the spiritual disciplines is not because of our effort, but because of the spirits. Our job is to follow wherever Jesus leads. So I want to take a little bit of time to consider these three statements and what we mean by these statements. First of all, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word, and prayer. This is about the relationship aspect of, with, between us and God. 
This is about getting to know who God is. You know, the more we understand who God is, the, the, the greater he becomes, right? And knowledge is not just something that happens in our head, right? It's something that we have to experience as well. And, you know, there's the, you know, that idea that you have it and we know it in our brain, but our heart hasn't caught up yet, right? And this is the experiential side. We need to understand and we need to study God's word so we can understand what the Bible tells us about who God is. But we, we don't really fully know that until we've experienced those characters of who God is. And as we experience, as we know fully these realities of who God is, we become more and more impressed with this amazing God and his amazing grace and his willingness to hang out with us sinful creatures. So relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word and prayer is about getting to know, getting to learn and discern the voice of God and learning to trust him when he speaks. Journeying in life with our church family in honesty and humility, this, this is about choosing transparency. See, we, we have a culture right now that tells us that we all need to isolate. Actually, it's trying to isolate all of us. We all want to be, it wants us to be separated from everyone. We don't want anybody to really to have an intimate relationship. Just social media relationship, right, for the younger generation. But even for us older generation, we want everyone to, we want to be afraid to share our opinions or our thoughts or what's going on in our life because someone's going to get mad and attack us back, right? But, but here's the reality. God's church is calling, you know, in God's church, he's calling us to transparency, to being open, to be honest with each other. Here's what we don't realize is that the, what's so amazing about God's love is the fact that he knows us perfectly. He knows all of our dirt, all of our sin, all of our hidden things that we're trying to hide from everybody. He knows it all, but yet he still loves us. See, we are missing out on experiencing more fully the love of God because we are not willing to be transparent with one another. If we would be willing to share the struggles of our life, even our sin with people in the church and the family of God, we would recognize, we'd be able to have, we'd, there'd be opportunity for this person who now knows my stuff to show true love because even though they know my stuff, they choose to still be in relationship with me, to still love me. This is the way that God communicates his love so often. So we need to be transparent in the church. This is what our vision statement is calling us to, to journey with us in honesty, with the church in honesty, but also in humility, which means that we submit. Part of love is truth. And we need to submit to one another as well, to recognize that we need each other. Recognize that sometimes they're going to see things that we can't see. Recognize that they're going to have gifts that we don't have. That we would learn to accept that and submit to those who step into our life and speak the truth. We're so often afraid of conflict. Someone comes to tell us something that we don't want to hear and we get mad. I mean, this is, this is a reaction, right? And the reason that we get mad is because we don't want to hear it. We want to drive away that relationship so that we can go on and continue to live our life the way we want to live it. But don't, we, what we don't realize is that conflict, that person that took the, had the courage to step up and say truth to us, even if it's not 100% true, that's an opportunity for deeper intimacy and relationship. But so often it leads to division. 
because we're not humble. We're not willing to submit to one another and be open. Engage our neighbor with God's love and authentic and caring relationship. What is this all about? It's about loving people through our words and our actions. We are, we, are not a, we are not a church, we're not a people that have been called to make converts. It's not about getting people to pray the prayer. It's about getting, it's about developing relationship with those people who don't know Jesus. And it has to be authentic relationship. See, our world really knows how to smell out a rat nowadays, right? It, it, you, can't, you can't fool people. They know if you're real or genuine or not. It's pretty easy to tell right away. And people that are not genuine, who are just there in order to get a number on their list of converts, I mean, sometimes that works, and it has, and God has used it by his grace. But that is not what we're called to. We're called to intimate, loving relationship with these people who don't know Jesus. Not just for conversion, but for life. And here's the deal. It's also a caring relationship, which means that it's not going to be easy. See, we... we we have this perspective in the Christian world that our life is about uh, comfort. You know, th- that's what we want. We want to be comfortable. We don't want to have to be stressed. We don't want, uh, you know, life is really already kind of icky and messy. And so when I come to church, I just want it to be all nice and cozy. I don't want to have people that are hard to love around me. But this is the reality that we need to face and understand that Jesus has called us to the world, to the least of these, to the ones who are lost and don't know Jesus. And the only ones who are looking for Jesus are the ones who are messy, the ones who haven't got it all together, the ones that are really hard to love. If we are not going to be able to love the loveless, the ones who are not lovely, then we will never bring anyone to Christ. Because these people will know whether we're there just to be able to give them a meal or whether we're there actually to develop relationship, to love them, to be there for them in the long haul, not just for today when it's easy, but even tomorrow when it's hard. We have to recognize that this is what we're called to and this is what our vision is about, engaging our neighbor with God's love. All right, so with that in mind, as we continue now, I want to get even more practical and, okay, how do we live this out? And I want to do it by, by uh, addressing or give, casting a, an image again. I've done this before, and so for some of you, it'll be familiar. Others, maybe this is the first time you've heard it. But the image of a garden, I, I think Christian life is uh, something that starts at the moment we step through the narrow gate, Matthew chapter 7, we step through the narrow gate into a garden. Now, most of the time, I think our, in, in, in most churches, I think most Christians today see the Christian life as a mountain. So they step through the narrow gate into this large mountain that they have to now climb, and that's the Christian life that we're climbing. And so there's this battle and struggle all the way up to the top. Sometimes we fall back. We see some that are way ahead of us on the, on the, on the mountain, some that are you know, just coming into the small gate or the narrow gate behind us. But I want to blow that up. I want to throw that out. And I want to say, no, no, no. When we walk through the narrow gate of salvation, we step into a garden that is on a plateau. It's totally level, totally flat. 
There's no rises, there's no little knolls, no little hills, nothing. It's just flat, this garden that's filled with all kinds of vegetation. There's, there's nut trees and there's fruit trees and there's vegetables and there's all kinds of stuff all throughout this garden. But it's totally flat. It's totally level. This is the Christian life. Let me turn to a passage and then expound on it a bit in Luke chapter 22, verses 18. 9 through 14. Before I do, I'll set it up. See, see, we have this tendency when we walk through the narrow gate to go and see, and we, we look around, and we, we think that some things are more valuable than others. Now, let me explain. The, the fruit and the vegetables, the nut trees that are there, these are all spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, spiritual activities and events that we can be involved in. I have a list on the back table of discipleship practices is what it's called. And on there's just a whole bunch of lists of things like, you know, praying and, and, and reading your Bible and getting involved in Bella Vista school and, and all this stuff, right? Fasting, a bunch of different things. All of those different uh, practices are a different tree in this garden. They're a different bush in this garden. They have different fruit on each one. Okay, so this is the imagery. Now, we tend to want to, again, elevate certain of those spiritual disciplines or those spiritual practices above others. Some of us look over at the, at the prayer bush, and we're like, oh, man, look at that prayer bush. Boy, it's way up there. Look at the, you can see the people up on that prayer bush because they are really close to Jesus. I mean, look at them. I mean, it's looking great over there, right? And we like to do, or, oh, man, oh, it's missionaries. <laughs> Boy, they are real. That, that's a nice little peak there. I mean, there's some jagged you know, cliffs in order to get up there. But, man, those guys are really holy. They're really righteous. They're the best Christians of all of us. Because this is what we tend to do, but that's not... This is not the plateau of the Christian life. It's a plateau. There are no hills. There are no knolls. There's nothing to look up to. It's all flat. It's all even. It's all equal. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and following. He also told this parable, Jesus did, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Understand that we as human beings love to elevate certain spiritual, or spiritual disciplines above others. We love to elevate different people, different things that we like. And it's amazing because so often it's the ones that we're good at. Oh, boy, I'm really holy. Look at me where I'm at, right? You know, because I'm a good prayer. Or I'm a good at fasting. I fast every week. 
every day I fast. I mean, it's amazing. And, and you know, I just, I'm feeding on God's word, right? You know what I mean? This kind of thing. We like to elevate these things, and, and we like to have a hierarchy in the Christian life. We want to look around the room and know, okay, well, that's really holy one, and here's the one, oh, and they're not so holy over there, and oh, well, yeah. We can tell this. Why? Because the way they talk, maybe, but because of the ver- verses they know. I mean, they can quote passages like, oh, boy, they must be really holy. Or, man, they're just such great prayers. I mean, when you come up and they just want to pray, oh, man, I just love the way they pray. You know, we want to have all these hierarchies and all these different values, but understand that it's not the plateau of the Christian life. They're all the same. They all have the same value. There is no one who is greater in the kingdom of God. We all are equal at the foot of the cross. Amen? And there's no formula for this. You know, sometimes we walk through the narrow gate and we step in and we're like, all right, okay, how do I accomplish this? How do I finish this job? How do I, what's the formula, right? What do I got to figure out so that I can get this done, right? And so we try to get this, create this formula. You know, it's like we're mad scientists, right? Oh, we're going to throw in a little bit of prayer. Oh, that was good. Oh, I know. oh Bible study. Oh, Bible study is good. Oh, BSF, that's even better. Oh, man. You know, and we throw all these things in there in this concoction in order to say, ah, I figured it out. This is the, this is the key to an amazing Christian life where everybody loves me, including including God and all of my friends. That's not it. There's no formula. It's going to look different for everybody. Every Christian that walks through that narrow gate is going to look different than everybody else. They're not going to have the same formula. They're not going to have the same you know, way to kind of get journey their way through this plateau of Christianity. Finally, this is really important. There's also no condemnation. First of all, we we beat ourselves up all the time. We have walked through this narrow gate of salvation and we've got to the other side and we feel like we fail because we're not where other people are or because of what other people have told us, well, we're not as good at that as they are, so that means I'm nothing. We condemn ourselves Christians oftentimes are more filled with guilt and shame after salvation than they were before. And that is a crime. That is not biblical. There is no condemnation. We do that to ourselves, but also we do that to each other. All the time, Christians and churches, maybe not by direct statements, but by the way we treat other Christians, looking down our nose at them. Well, maybe someday when you're a good Christian you'll be able to spend more time in prayer like I do. We do it all the time. Maybe that obviously, that obvious, but we do it. There is no condemnation. It doesn't matter if you're curled up in a ball in the corner of the plateau of God's, of, of, of salvation, of uh, plateau of Christianity. It doesn't matter. If you're curled up in the ball, not moving, not doing anything, not eating anything, you are still just as valuable, just as saved as everyone else that's on there. And we need to recognize that and understand that and embrace that. This is the freedom that we're talking about. It doesn't matter if you fail. Once you've walked through the gate, the narrow gate of salvation, you are saved. Amen. 
So how about navigating the path? So we walk through this narrow gate. So what do we do now? What, what is the process? How do we get through? I mean, what are we, I mean how are we going to interact now? Some of us, you know, we get really excited. We walk through the gate and we just start running around. You know, we just start aimlessly, you know, I run over to this peach tree of prayer. Oh, I love prayer. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <gasps> Bible study. Oh, my gosh. I love Bible study. Oh, we get over here and we're all excited about Bible study. And then, oh, missions trip, short-term mission trip to Mexico. That's me. Whoa. And we just kind of bounce around on this plateau. And that's awesome. Get me, don't get me. This is not a criticism in the sense that, oh my gosh, you're a horrible Christian. But understand that that's not what we're designed to do. This is one way of approach. Another way of approach is we just feel like the unworthy folks. You know, we walk through the, that gate and we're just like, oh, I can't, I, I can't believe I'm here. Oh, I hope nobody knows that I'm here because if God sees that I'm here, he'd probably throw me right out. I know he will, right? And so we go over and we sit down. We find a little bush, you know. Oh, oh I really like walnuts. They're really hard to crack, but it's okay. Uh, I'll just take these walnuts and I'll just suck on them if I can't open them. It's okay, right? And so we just sit at the walnut tree for our whole life. And we think this is enough. And again, this is not a criticism, not to say, oh, you're in trouble now. Your, your salvation's in danger. No, it's to say, look, there's, there's more. God, God has something else for us. It's also those who like to be followers, they're kind of the gang, uh, gang, uh, uh, what's the word? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. What is it called? <laughs> oh, bandwagon, sorry. Wow, see, but God loves me still. I'm still okay, I'm still going to heaven. <laughs> so yeah, don't be a critical out there, you know. You, you. Anyway, so bandwagon fans, right? I mean, it's like, you know, some of us, you know, we'll walk in and we get through that narrow gate and we're like, all right, where's all the, where's all the people gathered, right? Where, where, where's the popular bush, right? That's one. Oh, there's a bunch of people over there. Let's, let's head out over here fasting. Oh, ooh, fasting, uh, that's not so fun. Anywhere else? Uh, something else out there, right? You know, and so... So we're looking for kind of where the groups of people are, right? And that's the way that we pursue. And, but all of these, again, it's not to be critical of them in the sense that they're condemned, but it's to be saying, look, it, there is a way that God has given us. He's instructed us in how to walk this journey in the Christian life, and it's found in Hebrews. Always makes me think of coffee. Thank you, thank you. A few of you. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, get, uh, imagine this, walking, stepping through this narrow gate of salvation. Boop. Oh, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Amen? It's focusing on Jesus. So I have four things that we need to do when we walk through this narrow gate into the life of a Christian, to this plateau, plateau of Christianity. First of all, we have to follow Jesus. We've got to look to him. See, every one of us has a unique path through this plateau, this garden that he's given us. Each of us have a unique path that's specially designed just for us. It's not everyone going to, no, 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 this is just your path. Now, it may start like other paths. Maybe it's going to start with similar practices that, that others have done. But for us to just fall into line with everyone else, what everyone else is doing is wrong. We are to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, where do you want me to go? 
See, the problem is when we follow others or when we think that Jesus isn't to follow, we just have to figure it out ourselves. We are, we're bouncing around eating fruit that will not satisfy us because it is not designed for us at that point in our life. See, Jesus gives us, he invites us into these disciplines. He invites us into these practices to provide for us at just the right time, with just the right fruit or the right vegetable in order to nourish us so that we can make it through whatever life is throwing at us at that moment in time. When we begin to follow other people or when we get to just ignore Jesus and do whatever we want, we're eating his fruit and he blesses that and he's gracious and he loves us in that, but we're missing out so often on the fruit that we need at that time. This is why many Christians get dis, uh, disheartened with God and begin to maybe lose their faith because they're standing at a tree that they've sta- stood at for 10 years, eating the same fruit, and all of a sudden life throws them a curveball and this fruit no longer satisfies. And they cry out to Jesus, why doesn't this fruit satisfy? I've always done this. I've always eaten this fruit. It always makes me feel better, and now it doesn't. If we lift our eyes and follow Jesus, he'll take us to the fruit that will satisfy. It may be that fruit that we don't like, that we don't want to eat, or that we're afraid to go to, but he is going to lead us there if we'll just follow him. We need to, first of all, see Jesus. Second of all, we have to trust Jesus. We have to trust him, that he's good. You know, so often we get comfortable in our Christian lives, and we like where we're at, and so we just kind of settle down. We're like, you know, this is a good rhythm. Things are going really well, and then God begins to kind of direct us somewhere else. Don't really want to go over there. I'm kind of like this where I'm at. I mean, I got some good friends. I got a great church, good worship. Man, I'm in prayer and Bible study. It's all making sense to me. It's just all good. Why would I go over there? We got to trust that what he's leading to is better than what we have. See, we so often think that, you know, God, don't send me to Africa, right? Please don't, a song about that, right? Please don't send me to Africa, right? I mean, we, we, because we think that's going to be horrible. That's outside of my comfort zone. That's something that I, I don't want to do. I, 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 really want, I really like my life here. What we don't realize is that Africa is the way to greater blessing. That's the place of greater joy. That's the place of greater comfort. But we always want to cling what we have and that's kind of the next point is we got to let go and understand that there's something better for us that he's leading us to see God always wants what's better for us he's always leading us now in this world's terms it may not be better for us but in heavenly terms it is always better for us we have to get our eyes off of this earth and onto heaven so we need to let go of what we're clinging to but we also need to grab on to what he's leading us to. We need to embrace what he brings into our life. Even if it's hard. We need to embrace suffering. People don't like to hear that, not in America. When you're led into a, a season of suffering, can you embrace it? So often we try to get away from it. This is the normal reaction as Christians, right? When as soon as suffering starts happening, we're like, okay, how do we fix this? Okay, God, fix this, fix this, God, fix this, fix this. I gotta get out of here. I gotta get better, I gotta get out, you know, whatever. How many of us ever just go, oh man, this is really bad sickness. Okay, I guess it's where God's got me right now. 
It's not that we don't hope that things would change. That's not it. But it's that we're willing to embrace what God's led us to. See, we look at, we look at suffering as something that's outside of God's will. But Jesus, can we just remember Jesus? I think he was in God's will the whole time, 33 plus years or so, whatever it was, right? A lot of suffering in his life. And he embraced it. He prayed against it sometimes. God, would you take this from me? But then he still embraced it. <laughs> All right. So this is how we navigate. We follow Jesus, we trust Jesus, we let go, and we grab a hold. He has a unique path for all of us to walk. And here's the amazing thing. When we begin to walk this path as he leads, and as we begin to taste these different fruits at just the right time, in order to nourish our souls and to encourage us, we are once again standing in front of, again, his amazing grace. And we go, wow. See, these, these spiritual practices he calls us into are ways for us to be exposed more fully to his amazing grace. Recognizing that it's, whatever we're experiencing is not because of our goodness, not because of our effort, but it's because of his amazing grace. And so then we were brought back to a life of freedom and a life of worship, which equals enjoying, fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus. All right, worship team, why don't you come up? I got just a couple of thoughts I want to close with. The, the problem in, I think, our Christian, American Christian culture is that we are surrounded by wealth and comfort in a culture that constantly tells us that life is about comfort, that life is about getting more and more comfort, that life is about getting more and more toys or whatever it may be, but that, you know, we, that we just be at more and more at peace. And so that translates into us as Christians also looking for those things. But we... We look for those things in the world, and, and here's the amazing thing. The blessings of this world are so cheap. <clears throat> Having a beautiful home is so cheap. Having a nice car is so cheap. Having enough money to retire without concern, so cheap. having perfect relationships with your family. So cheap. C.S. Lewis writes this in The Weight of Glory, a wonderful book that I would encourage you if you've never read to read. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What Jesus has for us, the blessings that he offers are so far beyond anything that this world can offer, yet we over and over and over again settle for the blessings of this world instead of the next. 
We have to get our eyes and stop being so easily pleased. Get our eyes off the things of this world. Get our eyes on Jesus who will lead us to the real gold, the real treasure, the treasure that will bring us complete healing and wholeness for all time. And then finally, one more thing. Many pastors, and I am guilty of this as well as a pastor. Figure that, I'm a pastor. Many pastors have made this mistake, and, and I do thank the Lord that I did have a, a number of years as a bivocational pastor, so at least he can remind me of this reality on a regular basis. So when I have a sermon like this, I can bring it back uh, down. Many pastors expect too much from their church. And what I mean is that sometimes we can put off this perspective that, you know what, you guys just didn't need to do more. You know, you need to spend more time praying, gosh darn it. You need to spend more time at the church helping out in ministry. You need to be involved in more of these things. You know, if you just did these things, if you really, I mean, Jesus is calling to you, you're just not seeing him, right? So there's this guilt put on. But here's the reality. You guys, many of you are, your lives are crazy busy. You're filled, you have careers that you're working. You have families you're taking care of. Some, you know, some of you have families of seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever kids, right? I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, that's busy, right? <laughs> and so I, I, I just want, I have a quote. I'm going to give you just a second by an amazing pastor. Um, but <laughs> what are you laughing about? Uh, but, uh, but I just want to say that understand, again, that this Christian life is meant to be lived in real life. And then take this with you as well. To be drawn by Jesus into spiritual practices does not mean we must add things to our already busy lives. These practices are meant to be incorporated into all the different aspects of our life. Adding prayer doesn't mean we get up earlier. It means we infuse prayer into all the things that we are doing Hospitality does not mean we make extra meals. It means we invite people to share our meals with us. Jesus is inviting us to a more joy-filled life, not a busier one. By a great pastor that I know. 